Good morning, everyone. And hello, everybody online. See, I didn't say on television land. I'm kind of getting modern online. When I was in school, we used to keep the kids in line. So now we're keeping the students online. It's just a different preposition, but it means a lot different, doesn't it? There's a lot of a difference in meaning. Okay, we're continuing in our study of God's Word. God is love. Remember, that's a quote from what scripture? God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16. So you really must remember that. As we continue... I just must say, and I've said this before, I would never have been able to tell you that we would have been spending this much time and going into these categories concerning God's love. This is, you know, it's just, and I can say this, it's mind-blowing to me. It's incredible how the Holy Spirit, when we're being led by him, takes us in a way or down a road that we have no idea that we're going there. We just had no concept of it. We just, it didn't enter our minds is what I'm saying. And yet here we are. And so I think that we're beginning, listen, I think that we are beginning to come to the conclusion of this study. Now, did you see how a couple of the iffies I put in there? I think, and then the beginning of the end. So when the Bible says these are the beginning signs, now I think it leads you on saying, oh yeah, I know what that means. That means we may have a while to go. So thank you for being in here always. Okay, by now we've seen that God's love, and it is absolutely critical that we understand and identify the method that God, God, remember whom we're talking about, God, that God has chosen, first of all, chosen to create us, and then chosen knowing that we would fall to reclaim us, if you would, and the method that he has chosen to Pour in his love into our hearts is by the Son emptying himself of the use or the expression of his divine powers or prerogatives. Emptying himself of that, taking on a human body. Remember in John 1 14, remember what that says? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we what? Beheld his glory, that glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Important verse. And then as a man, this son of God, this divine one, this holy one, this eternal one, equal with the Father and with the Spirit lives a life as a man and in a man by the Holy Spirit 
continually deciding, moment by moment, word by word, step by step, activity by activity, miracle by miracle, etc., decides not to exercise anything for his own personal human benefit if that in any way and to any extent conflicted with the benefit of God. But he emptied himself of any fleshly grasping. Remember Philippians 2 verse 6 he did not grasp verse 7 but he emptied himself. Those two words are the essence of humility. The refusal to grasp, to be emptied consciously and purposefully, consciously and purposefully refusing, emptying himself of any grasping toward personal benefit in any category whatsoever, doing it all for one purpose, for the benefit of God the Father. That's the activity of humility. Now, we need in the next week or so to talk about humility as it relates to us because sometimes we get these things confused. We're not talking about self-abasement. No, no, I'm just no good and I can't do it. That's pride. But we'll get into that because we have to because these are, these are activities of God's love in us. So we've seen that the very love of God that each one of us is experiencing has been given to us on the ground of what? The humility of the Son of God. So we have received God's love because of the humility of Jesus being implanted into us by the Holy Spirit, which then allows or causes our pride heart. Remember, he removes that. He breaks that power, and he gives us a heart of flesh. And so that he plants in us, if you would, the humility of the Lord Jesus himself, his own humility, so that in humility we can say by faith, Jesus, save me. We receive the gift of God, or we embrace the gift of God that God puts in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We embrace that because of humility. Because we refuse any longer to grasp at our own good works, our own past achievements, our own abilities. We refuse to grasp. We let that go. We empty ourselves of that. That's humility in preference for embracing the love of God in our hearts. Do we see that? Now, I know that we typically don't consider coming into the kingdom that way. But that's how we came into the kingdom. And when that happened, we began to be flooded with experiencing the joy and the peace and the activity of God's love. Amen? That's what happened. God set his love in us by the Holy Spirit, touched our hearts and changed our hearts, the disposition of our hearts from pride to humility, allowing us to be able to embrace humbly the presence of God's love, the presence of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and to live thereby and to flourish on the basis of the operation and the activity of that humility in our lives moment by moment. 
which operation and activity of humility is the activity of God's love in me. We cannot love with God's love apart from humility. Do we get that? Are we, are we getting that? Are you okay with this? I must know if you're getting this. All right. So this means that God is fulfilling his ultimate goal in us through the humility of the Son of God, beginning when? We said this, I think it's in your notes. When did humility begin? What was the first activity of revelation of the humility of God? What is it? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. That was the initiating work of God's stooping, condescending, deferring, to his creation to be the vessel of his glory. So when the Son of God spoke creation into existence, he did so in humility, in submission to the Father's will, correct? Knowing fully that by doing so, he himself also would have to pay for the sin and the corruption that would come into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. So humility is the reason Jesus created because he was deciding to do the Father's will in preference for his own incarnational activity, knowing that he would become a man to die, etc. And so humility is from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to Revelation 22, and how far? Forever and ever and ever. Now, what is the ultimate goal of God in all things? What is the ultimate goal of God in humility? What is God after? What is God proclaiming in this? It is significant and must be understood by us. I suppose one of my main concerns it would be this. Typically, typically, when believers are thinking about their own salvation or we're speaking about it and sharing it or preaching or teaching it, too often, typically, the emphasis is put on us. Do we see that? Now, is there an emphasis on us? Yes, yes. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Yes, right, David? Absolutely. We are the apple of God's eye. We are his children. Right, Gordon? Jesus came to save us. We are emphasized in this. But secondarily so. Do we see it? There is a primary emphasis and purpose that moves God to create us in love. And that's what we must grasp. Because we live our Christian lives based on us, me. For instance, I sin. Okay, I'm going to repent. If I don't know the emphasis of God in my creation, in, in my salvation, I'm going to repent because I need to do this. I need 
to do better. If I don't, God will do something. I must do this in order to be reconciled to my... Do we see it? That's how repentance too often is considered, Donnie, by most believers. It's about me. But Warren, repentance, like every other act and work of God in my life, is about whom? God. So let's talk about God's ultimate goal, if I can, we can get through this on time this morning. I don't know whether it's in your notes or not, the scriptures read here. John 11, 1. This is about the ultimate goal of God. This is the ultimate top of the mountain goal of God in everything. How much? How much is left out of everything? Ain't nothing left out of it. How much is included in everything? Everything. Okay. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister, his sister, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And I'm leaving out some of the scriptures. I'm reducing it. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Do you see how they're doing it? You see the manipulation? And, it is, and I understand this is fine. You know, Jesus, I need you to do this today. You remember, I am your son. Or That's okay. God doesn't need that. We need to be reminded of that when we pray. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Did, did you just read verse 5? What does it say? Jesus, what? Loved Martha, Mary, and who? Lazarus. He loved them. Get that. Look at verse 5. He loved them. Look at verse 6. So what does verse 6 seem to say to you before you read it? Because he loved them, as soon as Anna, he was told, look, Lazarus is sick. Jesus said, pack up, boys. We're going down to Bethany. I heard there's a prayer need in the church. Let's meet it. I heard there's a ministry need. Let's meet it. I heard there's something. Let's do it. No. No. Let's first discover from the Holy Spirit what his purpose is and how to walk with him in a way to have him achieve that purpose in and through us. It may be immediately meeting the need or praying or ministering or whatever, or it may be something else. But our natural man must not govern our decisions or responses. Do we see that? Angel, do you see that? Who else is back there? I can't see. Miguel, do you understand that? We have a zeal for evangelism, but only according to the method, the means, the timing, etc. of God. There's a great need here. Your good friend is dying, Harold. He's dying. The man's going to be dead in a week if you don't get over here and pray for him. So what is verse 6? I love, Jesus loves Lazarus, verse 5. So what in verse 6? What does he say? So when he heard this, he was sick. He stayed two more days. (laughs) What? Didn't I tell you you better get up and go? Didn't I tell you you must? Do, Do we hear ourselves in this? Do we hear ourselves in this? 
Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. In verse 17, skipping down a lot. So when Jesus came right to Bethany, he found that Lazarus had been dead for what? Four days. Oh, the trip took longer than I thought. I missed the bus or <laughs> the cell phone ran out of batteries. I couldn't call you. Oh, it's just here is the son of God preeminently sovereign in every aspect of his life and he gets there too late is it possible is it possible he got there too late Ken did he get there too late I can't hear you with a big thing on you there's something on your face I can't hear you no does God ever miss or get someplace to miss late can we get that in our own lives where's God what's happening is Jesus sleeping? Jesus is sleeping out in the wilderness out there for a few days. He doesn't understand my need. He doesn't understand what's going on. Do we think like this? Because the gospel in our minds is too me-centered. Oh, I, I, I can't keep talking about the things that I'm thinking about. Look, listen to your own pronouns. Listen to your own pronouns. I just have to take, I have to say it. Sorry. David, I'll never get through this. We'll never get to teach First Peter in here. You're going to be an old man. But, but listen to how self, listen to how self-centered or self we are in the gospel. How many of us say this? And it's true. I thought of this. How many of you say that? I thought of that. Nobody ever says that? How many of you think? I thought of this. My, my thought is to do. So we, that's okay. I did. You know what? Everything we have in these notes, I thought of. Darlene, everything in these notes. I thought of these. Cody, everything. That's secondary. Why did I think of them? Whose thoughts, hopefully, am I thinking when I am thinking? Whose? The Holy Spirit's thoughts. So once in a while, we need to say, the Holy Spirit shared this with me. But do we do that? How often do we give the Holy Spirit credit for things? It's I, 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 I. And we leave God out of the conversation 90% of the time. We're too man-centered. And, and this is pertaining to preachers and teachers. It's pandemic in the church. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And he says, remove the stone. So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing about, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. You see, it's all about God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son. Do you see that? The whole thing is about Jesus and Father. The whole thing is about that relationship and fellowship. Do you see that here? It's not about Lazarus. He's secondary. It's about the Father and the Son's fellowship by the Holy Spirit. 
And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus didn't have a problem raising his voice in church. And what did the, what did the crowd see? Look, think about it. Think about it. Just put, let's put ourselves right there. We're at the tomb of Lazarus. All of us know Lazarus. We all grew up together. Our mom and them, we all ate together. We had family together. This is a family we've known all our lives. We're at the tomb. Lazarus has been dead four days. Four days. Four days. And in comes Jesus into the, into the, uh, what? Into the area. I forgot my word. And everybody's thinking, it's too late. And then he says, roll away the stone. Uh Uh-oh. Now think about it. You're at a funeral and somebody walks up to the casket and they say, open the casket. What, are you crazy? Do you you see that? Are you crazy? Chris, your mother has died and the preacher, whoever comes in and says, Chris, open the casket. Would you do that? I doubt it. This man's crazy. Luke. But they do it anyway. And he says, Father, right away, he prays, Father, letting everybody know this is about God, from God, and for God, right away. He didn't say, I, I, I. He says, Father, 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 and the I is within the context of the Father. Always. And when he bellows out, Lazarus, come forth, I can see the whole place shaking. And all of a sudden, a man comes, jump, he's in clothing, hopping out. And all of a sudden, what would you feel if that were you? What would you feel? You're at a funeral and someone walks up to the casket and lays his hand and said, in Jesus' name, come back. And that person sat up. After fainting to the floor and getting up, what would you feel? What would you see? What would you see? You would not see a dead person coming back to life primarily. That is not what you will see primarily. When we have a healing, what we're not seeing is the healing primarily. These are the secondary or the fruit of a root. When we pray for something, when we're praying for fruit, Yes, but we should be praying that the fruit be developed because of the manifestation of the root. Our purpose and our motivation should be the root. Through what? The fruit. Are you with me today? What did they see? They saw a man. who refused to grasp at equality with God, who refused to live his life for his own benefit, who refused to grasp at anything for or about himself primarily. Listen to the words that I'm using, primarily. They saw the activity and result of Jesus' humility in love and obeying the Father's will. That's what they saw. 
What, did we, what would we typically say? Lazarus, Lazarus. Yes, but primarily, what were they seeing? And what was God revealing in the humility of this man? What was God revealing? What was the ultimate goal of God? Jesus says this in verse 4 when they come to tell him about Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Why is Jesus emptying himself of self-grasping? So that through humility, God's ultimate goal in all things is the revelation of his intrinsic glory. So look at verse 40. It may be in your notes. Jesus tells her what? Didn't I tell you that what? If you believe, you will what? See. See. See what? The most astounding, incredible, ultimate revelation that God declares in the creation. That revelation which controls all things for which God moves all things and does all things. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see what? What does it say? The glory of God. So when we see Lazarus coming forth, we see the result of Jesus' humility for the purpose of the Father, or through the humility of Jesus, the purpose of the Father is being manifested, which is to the glory of God the Father. That's the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is not about me or you. Everything about the gospel has one goal. Not my salvation is not the goal of the gospel. Do we get it? My salvation is not the goal of the gospel. It is the means that God has chosen to do one primary essential thing. What is that, Fred? To glorify himself. That in me, in you, in this salvation, his intrinsic glory will be on visible, visible. Didn't I not tell you? See, the visible display to all creation for all time. James, that's the gospel. Now, it can be explained and defined in several ways. But if we leave out the foundation for which the gospel comes to us or for which the whole creation has been created, we miss the point. And when we miss the point, we become the point. Hey, rooster. We become the point. And I believe it is God's purpose today and moving forward that we become unshackled by from our own selves even as believers unshackled of this 
thing about us that it is about me and for me and what about me and how it is affecting me and why is this happening when is it all that's about me who is it about God essentially what is it about God the declaring of his intrinsic glory you see this is what Philippians 2 tells us remember in Philippians 2 6 through 8 remember do you remember the scripture what happened? Jesus was in eternity, one with God, equal with the Father. But he refused to grasp or hold on to that. Adam and Eve grasped to become like God in the garden. You remember? She partook, she grasped. You shall be like God. Jesus in the carnation said, I'm not coming here to be like God. I'm coming here to do the Father's will. And if you want to see God, then you only will see it through humility, through the action of God's love. That's how you're going to see God. And so he emptied himself, and he became obedient. What does the end of verse 8 say? Even death on what? The cross. Look at verses 9 to 11. This is the crescendo. Wherefore also God has what? Highly exalted him. And has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee will bow of things in the heavens, things on the earth, and things underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Why? To the glory of God the Father. You see, that whole poem is about the glory of God. Just explaining how God's glory is manifested through the humility of the Son of God as expressed in the incarnation. So in exalting Jesus, what is God exalting here? What is he manifesting in the most incredible way through a man? His own glory. You see, the essential thing is not that Jesus is exalted, but that in this exaltation, God the Father is exalted and his glory is manifested purely in a risen, reigning, and returning man. Do we see that? Do we see that? And I'm getting ahead of myself. And we are in him sharing in the glory of God as God has set his own glory in us by the Holy Spirit who has poured out the love of God in our hearts so that everything about my life has one goal, the glory of God. Gail, did you say something? Go ahead. It's the word kabod, which we'll get into next week. Right. It's a word kabod. It's a word that is. It's a word that is impossible, really, to clearly define. But I'm, I'm thinking that God will help us next week. I'm thinking God will help us next week. I'm going to say it this way. Listen to me the way I'm going to say it. Listen how I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it wrongly. It's right to say it, but I don't like emphasizing the secondary over the primary. 
Harold, I've been thinking about this, and I've thought and thought about it, and I've come to some conclusions. That's the truth. But Debbie, that misses the point. I haven't been thinking about this. I've been hopefully listening to the Holy Spirit speaking to me about the Father's glory. That's how, if you would, I have come to a conclusion. I have gotten, me, gotten something from God, Carrie, that I think gives us an understanding of this. So I'm not going to tell you, Floyd, I've been thinking and thinking about it. I have. It's been in my mind. Thinking and thinking, trying to understand and figure it out. No. I've been wrestling with God as he wrestles against my inabilities and works in this fallen, frail, faulty man to bring forth something of an understanding of what his glory is to be able to share with you next week. Do you see why I cannot stand the idea that I emphasize I am thinking and contemplating and understanding? I am receiving from God, and so are you. That's why let's make sure we change our emphasis in the way we communicate. Amen? Is this okay to say this? And look, look, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear somebody on TV, someone, wherever, and you're going to, and I've been thinking, and you're going to say, no, don't do that. Just ask the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to him what's really going on here? Because here's what I would rather you to say. Man, when Peter taught that class, Rooster, Peter, he gave us a great word. Is that true? Yes. But where's the emphasis? On good old Peter Davidson. How great a teacher I am. How glorious. No. I don't want any of that. So where's, how would it be if I said, man, did the Holy Spirit communicate with that man and through that man to our hearts? Which one is more God-honoring? The second one. There's a man risen, exalted. Listen to what I just said. There is a man risen and exalted in whom and through whom God's glory is now and will be forever manifested. And as a hint of things to come, and we have been collected in to him to be co-sharers of the glory of God. That's crazy to the world and to every other religion. It's nuts. And the only reason why Christianity is the only truth, the only reason why Christianity is the only religion that teaches this truth is that it is the truth that is God, God has given to us. That's why. 
So what does this mean for us? Second Thessalonians 2.14. God has called you or us. He has called us to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you considered that? We are walking, living vessels. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For we have this treasure. What treasure? Yes, the Lord Jesus in us. Yes, the Holy Spirit. For what is the ultimate goal and reason we have been given the Holy Spirit? Why have we been saved? So that we have this treasure, the glory of God the Father in us, Rosa. So that the excellency of the power may not be of us, but of God. So that when they see us, they know that's not Darlene. That's transcendent. You couldn't be that way. That's God in you. That's God in you. You can't love that way. You can't speak that way. You can't overcome sin. That's God. It's God. Let me just go through this long list on the back page, maybe in your notes. And this list could go on for a very long time. This is just what I felt the Lord gave to me. It was for the glory of God that God created Adam and Eve in his image. Sorry, did I skip Genesis 1-1 on that one? Yeah, I'm sorry. See, I knew I skipped something. <clears throat> it was for the glory of God that the Son created all things. It was for the glory of God that God created Adam and Eve in his image. It was for the glory of God that Adam and Eve were shown mercy in the garden. It was for the glory of God that God called Abraham. It was for the glory of God that God delivered his people from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. It was for the glory of God that God gave the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. It was for the glory of God that God spared Judah from total destruction to restore them to the land. Remember the Babylonians? They went into Babylonian exile and they came back. Remember that? It was for the glory of God that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was for the glory of God that Jesus was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, of God to be nailed to a cross for our redemption. It was for the glory of God that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand. It was for the glory of God that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the world to collect us into the family of God. And it will be for the glory of God that Jesus will return for us. Why are we here? What is 1 Corinthians 10? Do I have it here? 10, 13? Yeah, 10, 31. Whatever you do, eating and drinking, do what? How much? Do all. For what purpose? For the glory of God. Why did God save me? For his glory. Why am I going through the difficulties that I'm going through? Because God's revealing his glory in it. Why have I been rejected and hated by people? Because of God's glory. Why is God forgiving me? For his glory. Is there anything in my life or your life that is happening, has happened or will happen apart from the essential purpose of God in declaring his glory? Hopefully this morning we have seen something that the essence 
of the gospel is the revelation of God's glory. That God's ultimate goal before creation and in the decision to create and in all of his work throughout the old creation into the new creation and forever. What is his ultimate goal? That the Father may be glorified in the glory of the Son who is sitting at the right hand exalted. Amen? See you next week.